Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Nevers Podcast. This is part two. This time, it's personnel. As always, you can find us at the Nevers Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual places. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher. With me, as always, is my two amazing co-hosts, Gina and Dennis. Sadly, Kelly couldn't make it today, but she's with us in spirit. Say hi, everyone. Hey, this is this is Dennis uh, saying hey, getting ready to talk about these. <laughs> hey, everyone, so, it's Gina. Super excited about these new cast members. There isn't, we don't have any other topics to discuss. There is nothing. All we are here for today is to talk about casting. So without further ado, let's jump in. I just found out about a cast member that I'm actually really excited about, so I can't wait until we get to that person. Cool, cool. Is it uh, Elizabeth Barrington? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I looked through her IMDb and I was like, oh, Gina's going to be all over this one. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm freaking out right now. First on the list is Kieran Sonia Sawar, who will be playing Harriet Kaur. A young Scottish Sikh, Harriet lives with the orphans, but is accepted by both her family and her betrothed. Optimistic without being naive, Harriet is determined to live her life as she's planned, despite its increasing weirdness. Sawar has held parts in Black Mirror, Silent Witness, and had a standout role in the gritty BBC drama Murdered by, Murdered by My Father. This seems to be her first major recurring role, so I'm looking forward to see what she can do when she's able to sink her teeth into a character. Uh, anyone else have any thoughts on this? Uh, just the description makes me feel like it's the kind of character who, just based on, oh, I'm accepted by my family, but I live with the orphans. Like, sounds like the kind of character who, when is hanging out with you, is like, oh, we're slumming it. And you're like, no, this is this is my life. I'm a Victorian. Oh, hipster. I choose to live with orphans. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that contrast that she chooses it, and she's fine with her family life, and she's with someone, so that's going to be a really interesting conflict with her and the others. I'm wondering, they know, they says, yeah, she's accepted by her family and her betrothed. Do you think there may be, the kind of the acceptance may be one way? Like, her family are like, oh yeah, it's great, she's got powers, it's wonderful. And she's like, oh my god, these guys are so embarrassing, why do they have to be like this? I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah. hang out with the orphans, they understand me, they don't, have, they don't have to worry about all this parent nonsense that I had to deal with. Ugh, <laughs> oh, I wish it was an orphan. The problem with that is if they do take that path, she may come off as... Maybe not an unlikable character, but a bit sort of selfish. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's a lot really large cast. You gotta have some like jerks in the cast. I don't know if this character is or not, but probably yeah. I mean, it says optimistic without being naive. So I mean, she does sound like quite a nice character, but I'm just wondering if they're not hiding something beneath the surface. Can't wait to find out. And I love that she's Scottish. Cool. It's good to know that they are bringing in characters from... Or it's not just going to be a collection of Cockney Roughnecks. There's people from all over England. Yeah, very excited to see what can we do with her. The second new actress is Elizabeth Barrington. Barrington plays Lucy Best. Dirt poor, adaptive and streetwise, there's nothing delicate about Lucy. As she's given up thieving to live with the orphans, her quick wit and high spirits mask the pain of a tragic past absolute mainstay of british tv her imdb is extensive <laughs> long-running parts on school drama waterloo road as well as guest spots on doctor who 
Black Mirror, and also she played the wife of psychotic mob boss Harry in 2008's horrifically underrated dark comedy In Bruges, one of my all-time favourite movies. I'm very excited for this character. I think she's going to be very, very fun. I know Gina in particular has a lot to say about this, so I will cede the floor to you. Um, okay, so I mentioned in a previous podcast that I'm beyond obsessed with Good Omens, and she plays Dagon, Lord of the Flies. So she's basically Beelzebub's kind of like sidekick in the hell world, and she's incredible. And even just her being in Good Omens, and she she has a small role, but she's so memorable and amazing and and the great thing about good omens is that even if everyone has small roles they feel really like complex characters but she's definitely someone i remember and yeah i'm just kind of geeking out that like my good omens and joss whedon world is like lighting <laughs> a little bit right now so she's also in the the doctor who episode that neil gaiman wrote so she's got that double that double gaiman uh, cred this this does seem like quite a classic whedon character Quick wits, high spirits, tragic past. I don't, I don't mean to and be the, that guy, yeah. but looking at some of these characters, he doesn't really seem to be stretching himself in terms of new origin stories. <laughs> and the, like, dirt poor adaptive streetwise sounds like, well, if you're going to do a Victorian era thing, that's what you need. Like, that also seems to be like, like you're living in this comfort world of cliches for, these, for this time. But that's and again, fine. we've got another a very loaded surname, joining uh, Malady, that's the one, and then there was Best. Now, it's like, it's, it's all, they're all lining up. I, yeah. I have to wonder, is Whedon trying to subtly sort of pass us a message along through these names, or does he just like the sound of them and we're vastly, vastly overthinking everything? Yes, it doesn't seem like Joss is stretching himself, but at the same time, since it's been so long that he's had a TV show, I'm kind of okay with him having familiar characters. True. We, we have to remember, one of Joss Whedon's absolute strengths is creating amazing characters. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're heroes, villains, anti-heroes, sidekicks, henchmen. They're always memorable and intriguing and interesting. So even if he is maybe relying on forms he's used before that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be dull or cliche characters he's always going to put his little his little twist his shocker in there to surprise us with what we previously assumed to be quite a generic character well and i mean characters are always going to sound generic when you have two sentences to rely on and i i mean this is something i've been thinking about recently also of like every artist or creator has their tropes or themes they go back to so to like i don't know and, and what's wrong with that that's like how people write and how people draw like you wouldn't expect to see like uh, a hopper painting that's like of of a sci-fi landscape you know like we all yeah i don't know we all have our, our things we return to as creators and as storytellers and so it's like that's actually a really excellent point like when a musician sticks to one genre we don't criticize them when an artist sticks to a particular style we don't criticize them but then when like an yeah, actor I mean, does the same like roles they're direct... typecast and somehow that's bad even if the role they play is good and even like when a director does change genres or something you still they're still going to have elements of their style coming through like david lynch doing um a straight story like still even though it's like a more 
like set in a war on a regular world story still feels like a lynch movie you know that's like... a really good point and and i feel like joss in the first avengers film and probably in everything he's done he has similar shots but that doesn't take me out of it if anything i'm like oh man that looks like that shot from that one buffy episode like i think it's cool it it means he has a style yeah and a lot of excellent points there next up is a character I am very much looking forward to seeing in, in show because I think they're going to be very, very fun. Is Ella Smith, who will be portraying Desiree Blodgett, a whore and an increasingly popular one. Her power makes men tell her everything on their minds, and they come away relieved in more than one sense. Unfortunately, what she's heard may get her killed, even though, honestly, she doesn't listen to most of it. She is devoted to her six-year-old son, who, bless him, never speaks. Uh, you'll recognize Ella Smith from appearing in the somewhat disastrous Hoff the Record, as well as the far, far more successful Ray and Liz. I have I have a distinct suspicion this character is going to be very well received. I can, I can almost picture the scene now. They're sort of in her boudoir, laid around, smoke and sweat in the air. The man is just reeling off all these funny things that he's done. And then suddenly, in a you know, classic wing way, there'll be a turn. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, and then I killed someone. Right. And there'll just be an immediate switch where it goes from, oh, this is so funny. He's talking about how he loves feet. And then suddenly, and then I use those feet to stamp on their throat. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> where the hell did that come from? Yeah, and it sounds like she's got a like an honesty power or something. Mm. Right. The only thing in her IMDb I recognize is Birkin hair, uh, or at least I've seen. Um, and that was good, yeah. Don't remember her from it, though. But it's been a while since I've seen that. I've also seen her, um, she was in Benedict Cumberbatch's and Johnny Lee Miller's Frankenstein, directed by Danny Boyle, which was, it's probably the best, one of the best plays that I'll ever watch. Um, and I don't remember her either, but if she was in that cast, like if Danny Boyle cast her for a theater role, she's probably amazing. And it's interesting, again, we're seeing a child. She's devoted to her six-year-old son. Mm-hmm. It really does seem like it's not just the themes of this show that are more mature. It's very much a story of families. This is like the third family in a row we've had. It's like it, he's really dialing up the stakes of these characters so much high. Like this isn't, you know, like high school drama. This isn't a detective agent. This is like people and their lives and their families' lives in constant risk. And then juxtaposed with the main characters that are all orphans and as such have no connection to their family anymore except for each other some serious drama there yeah i also love the fact that her power um even though she honestly doesn't listen to most of it to most of what the men are saying that's actually really interesting because usually when someone has a power they like hone in on it and use it but it's like look i have a superpower but i don't even need it because i don't care <laughs> like i kind of love that <laughs> i can already see her as a kind of Maybe not sassy, it's, a, it's that word's been overused, but kind of very assured Victorian whore. Being. Which is awesome. <laughs> Next up, we have Viola Prittajohn, who will be playing Myrtle Haplich, a middle-class girl rescued from a family who cannot understand her, literally, as she can no longer speak English or anything resembling speech. She's thrilled to be living at the orphanage, where she's everyone's favourite weird little mascot. Her IMDb currently has two shows listed. One of them is The Nevers. But apparently she is going to be in the soon-to-be-cancelled Netflix adaption of the popular RPG series The Witcher. <laughs> Her character, again, it sounds like classic Whedon. It's another sort of 
mascot type character. The one problem I can see, and it's a problem with any of those characters that kind of only speak their own language or speak gibberish or yada yada yada, is where do you go from there? If for the entire run of the series, she's like, does she just speak nothing but nonsense? Or does she eventually get past whatever's caused that and start to speak English? If she does, does that kind of undercut her character in that she was the gibberish one and now she speaks normally? But if she doesn't, how much can you actually do with a character that's never able to communicate? Yeah, uh, yeah. all I can say with this, if this is like her full character, I hope she doesn't get too much screen time. Yeah. It could really like, uh, hearing a full 15 minutes of gibberish is a lot, you know. <laughs> I feel like um, with episode Hush, I feel like obviously Joss is really good at verbal communication and verbal cues, or I'm sorry, not verbal, physical. So... Mm-hmm. I feel like she probably won't have too many lines, but she'll do a lot of things physically, which is really cool. Um, it's just a different kind of character than we usually see in like big popular shows. I personally see, hopefully, by the end of like season one or like this powerful emotional moment, something has to happen where then she starts speaking English. Um, but like Take said, if she does start speaking English, there has to be like a consequence or something so it doesn't make it seem like it's been pointless that she hasn't been able to this whole time. Yeah, and this might be another like a mystery or something because she could be speaking uh, like just as an example, like an alien language that is a clue to like aliens being there. I mean, not that there's indications this is an alien show or like maybe she speaks to technology, but technology doesn't like exist yet that would uh you know i I just had a thought do you remember in the uh powers article i did a thing about um um, omnilingualism what if it's not that she can't speak it's that she can speak everything but because it all just hit her immediately she can't quite process the differences between the different languages yet so she's just kind of trying to speak in everything all at once and then over the course of the series she'll kind of either by as, as you said gina some kind of emotional impact or just with time and effort she'll eventually begin to kind of tease out those strands and separate them out into the different languages and then over the course of the series she'll start to speak english but she'll also start to speak everything else kind of once she learns to harness her power that, that would be awesome because yeah. it has someone commented they did say that just did mention omnilingualism as one of his favorite powers so that would, that would be a very just way to kind of sneak it in under the radar right and actually that'd be cool if at first you, you don't think she's speaking any languages like you think she's just like mumbling or like it's indistinguishable and then eventually maybe someone's like wait a minute that kind of sounded like this language that kind of sounded like this language like that'd be kind of cool yeah. if they like slowly peppered it in i mean there's there's if there's people in the show from various different countries it could be that she's speaking gibberish because she's actually speaking like african or korean and then when someone is like, oh, wait, I know that language. Then suddenly you sort of realize that she, she's not speaking English, but she is speaking a language. We just don't know what that language is. Right. So I've now done a complete 180 on that character. <laughs> I was thinking it should be quite annoying, but I actually think she could be incredibly interesting if they play it properly. And again, it's cool that she's not in too many things. I love mm-hmm. when big directors take unknowns and like give them a chance because everyone has to start somewhere so and you know she she seems like she's young but it's still cool to see unknowns definitely so it's like it's always a risk to just cast someone that's got sort of two credits but 
it's been shown in the past, especially with HBO shows, who, you know, 80% of Game of Thrones were unknowns. Yeah. Uh, a good portion of uh, True Blood were relative unknowns. It can pay off, and when it does pay off, it tends to pay off quite hugely, especially for the actors themselves. Next up, we have Anna Devlin, who is playing Primrose Chataway. All 16-year-old Primrose wants is to be a proper, ordinary girl and not take up too much space. Which, at 10 feet tall, is hard. Most everything is either dreamy, unfair, or just too embarrassing to live through. You'll recognise Anna. She was very briefly in the last season of 12 Monkeys, which is my favourite show I can't watch the end of because the world hates me. She's, again, another actress with very, very little on her IMDb. But as we've just covered, that may not necessarily be a huge problem. But one thing which did really stand out from that description is 10 feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? How did they just slip that one in mid-sentence like it's nothing? <laughs> Got a giant in our midst. What have you got to do with that? Yeah, that sounds... I mean... Sorry, have you guys read the uh, season 8 Buffy comics? Uh, that was my first yeah. thought exactly, yeah. <laughs> it almost reminds me of Don. Obviously, Don was a lot more than 10 feet tall, but I really do love that concept. Um, and really geeky side note, Joss um, helped this one singer-songwriter um, with her album, and he co-wrote a song called Big Giant Me. And it's about this person that's really tall. And I'm, I'm really interested if like when he wrote that if he was starting to think about this character or not i don't know it was it was probably like five years ago but that's really interesting the thing that's quite interesting for me about this is so far all the powers that we know have been like have been attributed you know, the voice the fire etc the truth telling they're all quite subtle undercover easy to hide powers and now we have paul primrose who is 10 feet tall there's no hiding that. There's no being subtle with that power. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite interesting to see how the rest of the team deal with this giant teenage girl who is apparently thinks everything is unfair. And that sounds to me like the most like um, X Men feeling power of like, oh, I'm 16 and I'm so awkward and I'm a giant. Like mm. the thing of like being so uncomfortable in your own body. Like you know, you just had this terrible growth spurt. <laughs> You don't even know how to walk anymore. Uh, yeah, even even filming wise, it's going to be really cool. Like, I already can't wait for like behind the scenes stuff of like how they deal with this. You know? Yeah. Like, does she have to stand on a box? Do they have to? I don't know. I'm hoping they uh, have hired a few of the cinematographers from Lord of the Rings because they did great work with the Hobbits. This is sort yeah. of the opposite of that. You use a lot of false perspective, and I think that's going to be very fun to see how they work around that both in the show and in filming. Last, but by no means least, we have Martin Ford, who will be playing Nicholas Purble, a.k.a. Odium, the quintessential henchman. He looks as unpleasant as he smells, a side effect of his rather surprising turn. We'll do any kind of work for anybody's money. Looking at his IMDb, Ford has been in a lot of shows and a lot of films where he can walk around with no shirt on and punch people. He's very, very large, muscly man. 
I have. I don't think this role is going to be very different to everything he's been in so far. But I, I, I have a feeling he will be right up there with Primrose in the this power is not easy to hide. A side effect of his rather un, his rather surprising turn. I'm guessing he's like a fish monster <laughs> or swamp thing or something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is I hope this, this is an opportunity for a practical effect. I'd love to see some monster makeup on this. Uh, and I wonder what it is. Like Gorilla Man or something? Uh, he, look, he, just, he looks as unpleasant as he smells. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking either Monkey Man or Fish Man thing is umbrella academy have already done monkey man so i think they'll probably go more kind of swamp thing than that than primate he's got uh like face tattoos or near face tattoos so you think so i think that to me is a good indication he's got to have some makeup on because that doesn't like strike me as victorian to have these full neck tattoos it's pretty badass though. i also love the will do any kind of work for anybody's money like i love characters that obviously he seems like a villain, but maybe at some point he might help the Nevers a little bit, or maybe not. I don't know. I, I love characters like that. <laughs> mm. I mean, the quintessential henchman. I can see him being a little bit like what was the name of that the guy in Buffy with all with all the skin folds? Clem. Yes, thank you, Clem. Being, being a bit like Clem, kind of he hangs around. He, he never quite because it, it was worth noting Ford slash Odium is the only character listed that is not listed as a main case this is a recurring character not a lead all the others so far i feel a bit sorry for him literally every other character we've announced so far in both our casting casts has been listed as i believe as a main or lead role odium is so far is the only recurring character meaning he won't be in every episode he'll probably be in about half to three quarters of the episode so I wouldn't be surprised if he was just kind of hired muscle for both or either side, rather than a kind of uh, continuous force in yeah. the show. Yeah, he sounds like a classic heavy. The characters need to fight. Mm. Level one boss. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about even um, the villains' descriptions is that all of them seem like outsiders, even the mm. villains, which is really interesting. Very much so. They're all sort of very fringe characters with the exception probably of the two people from the last cast who we tipped to be the baddies which were the surgeon and the the peer yeah but even yeah. but even even them they kind of have something that makes them not like stand out but but sort of like i guess they're kind of Characters that can't really relate to a lot of people. Because um, even even with the other two, he was like a uh, he was like the, a super gifted, massively talented surgeon. That's gonna put a bit of distance between him, simply because like all his colleagues will be like, "Oh, there's there's old Mister Mister Flash thinks he's better than us because he's come over from America." And then the peer who used to be a general, who I still think is gonna have some kind of dark secret, possibly a power. It could be that sort of those in the inner circle are shunning him now because of whatever caused him to move from general to peer. There are so many freaking layers to this show, it's insane. Yeah, this is a massive cast. I mean, for it's 18, or I guess 17 regulars already. Mm. That's this. That seems huge to me for um, a show we don't know much about yet, really, other than these character descriptions. I mean, we're already, like, at, like, Game of Thrones level, like, 
cast size, you know? I have to assume that this is going to, again, uh, it sucks we have to keep referencing it, but it is sort of our, our biggest point of reference. Much like Game of Thrones, I think we're going to be seeing two, possibly three stories in their separate arcs that may cross over and converge at some point. Like, I think there's going to be the orphanage where we've got the various orphans and hangers-on and ne'er-do-wells. Then there will probably be a sort of underworldy type story with Nick Frost, with Odium, with uh, the Pyromancer and the Hooker. And then to counterbalance that, we're going to have an upper-class story with the Doctor, the Orphanage owner, um, the General, and the Surgeon. Like, it, although it is quite a large cast, and there are crossovers between all of them, there does seem to be three distinct kind of strata evolving between the announced cast members. Kind of the, the middle grounds, yeah. the underground, and the upper class. And only the audience will have the full view... As it should be. As it should be, yeah. But it's it's interesting because I feel like um, Joss usually doesn't work in that structure, you know? Usually a lot of the characters interact every single episode, but with these many cast members, I feel like there has to be those three different worlds. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they um, deal with that. I think there will certainly be some level of crossover. For for instance, you've got um, your favourite character, the pansexual posh boy, who is Hugo Swan. We've got Mr. Swan, who is upper class, so he will be able to rub shoulders with the surgeon and the general. But also, he's obsessed with powered folk, so he will be working with Amalia and the Nevers, and then they will be trying to survive, so they will have to by virtue of you know, it's the way the world works, they will probably be dealing with the Beggar King and his various Nedowells, because that's the only way they can kind of get by in the world. Then there'll be the policeman trying to chase them all down because he just wants to enforce the law. Oh, okay, so in any storytelling seminar or anything, they always say if you create great characters, then the plots come from characters. So characters drive plot, character drive conflict, and like this show is the perfect example for that because again, like in our last podcast when we talked about the previous cast, we're already coming up with storylines mm. and all we have mm. are the character descriptions. <laughs> like it's amazing. It really is. Like I don't understand how with you know, less than a paragraph, like two sentences for each character, just between the two of us and, and you know, and now adding in Dennis, we've come up with enough plots for about the first three seasons like it's insane like it's all there our poor fan fiction brains just can't help it so that definitely needs to go on the nevers website just i've always seen some very interesting interactions between the characters desiree being the one obviously who i really want to see with everyone just because i want to see how kind of the honesty she can bring out in them it'd be, it'd be quite fun to see her with uh the general, who I still think has some dark secret, it would be interesting if that's how it finally comes out. Although, her power makes men tell her everything on their minds. So I'm wondering, will it work on the ladies? Or is it just phrased that way because she's a whore and works with men and she's used it so far on men? Right. Well, that could get into could get her into trouble with the other workers at the, in the whorehouse if she's constantly making them tell secrets. <laughs> 
to their clients. That could be a lot of trouble, but hilarious. I do like the idea of like somebody whose powers aren't even like that. Not only do they want them, but they're not suited to their personality. Like, because like if you think about like a psychic, usually is like super smart. But if like a psychic is also dumb and is like like if it's somebody who's like. I'm in a line where I want secrets. It's a good contrast to a character. And then like take said, like I would, so another really good storytelling technique is having the audience know things that the characters don't. So it feels like the audience is like a step ahead in a way. Um, it would be great. Like take said, if eventually, obviously the audience knows her superpower and then eventually the general goes to her. And I, I could just imagine like having a viewing party of the episode. And like, right before that happens, we'd be like, Oh, like everyone freaking out. Be quite interesting to see Desiree and Swan get together. A woman that can make anyone tell the truth, and a man with a sideline in blackmail. It's a powerfully dangerous combination. This really does seem like it is Joss's chance to just shoot for the moon. With every new piece of information we're finding out, it's just it's adding depth, it's adding breadth. It's adding possibility to these characters and this world. I honestly can't think of a time I've been more excited for a show when the show hasn't even been filmed yet. There's no there's no trailers to watch. There's no real kind of hype to build on. And yet still, the hype has reached unbearable levels just based on the few scraps we know. So you have to wonder now, is, is that it? Do we have our world now? Or like, do you think there's going to be one or possibly more casting announcements yet to come? Oh, who knows? Yeah. It, I was already saying this is a large cast, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it could keep going, right? I mean, we've only got going. one recurring character. So far. It could be there'll be another kind of five or six characters that have smaller parts within the world. It's also worth noting because they've just finished filming episode one and have now gone on a break before they film episodes two to ten you have to wonder if these casts have been announced now because they're not in the first episode and they will be playing parts in the later arcs of the season yeah that's a good point yeah. too yeah and i'm so curious like we haven't heard about any other directors coming on for episodes two through ten so i wonder if joss is doing all of it it does sort of seem like he might be in all the articles i'm seeing it's got written by you know, Whedon, Espenson, Petri, uh, Petty, and then directed by Whedon. How would you think, Sebastian? At least for the first season, he's going to do all 10 episodes. Which would be great, because I definitely oh. think he's underrated as a director. Like, everyone always talks about how great his writing is, which, duh, of course. But I also feel like he's a phenomenal director. So I would be so happy if he got nominated for an Emmy for directing. Actually, he's nominated would... for an Emmy, full stop. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that'd be great. Ding around, he definitely seems to be listed as directing the first episode, but we have we know next to nothing beyond that point. I have a distinct suspicion they're kind of they're filming the first one as a sort of proof of concept, and will then farm out the rest of the episodes. That's probably us done for the evening. As always, you can find us at HBO The Nevers on all social medias, anywhere you can find a podcast. We're there. As always, I've been your host, Tyke. I'm not on social media because it smells and looks funny. 
but my two co-hosts are, so I'll hand over to them now and they can tell you all about it. Gina, if you want to do your thing. Sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Gina Gemini. Gemini is spelled with an E in the middle, G-E-M-E-N-I. Feel free to tweet me about anything as long as it's geeky and fandom related. Uh, and I'm a... Uh... Dennis St. John, uh, Dennis with one N. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as uh, at D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. That's Dennis Comics. Uh, and my that's also my dot com. And my Patreon, if you want to read my new comics, is uh, Dennis St. John, D-E-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure as always, dude. And thank you all for tuning in. We will see you soon for the next episode of The Nevers Podcast. got that sorted relatively quickly as always we are on the ball with this this episode of the nevers podcast was edited by matthew yamanashi the intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme morais we are more than just a podcast we're a fan community you can keep up to date on the nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including HBO Home Box Office, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders.